wondrous things from your holy scriptures. Cause us to understand and respond in faith that we might be eternally blessed. We pray in the wonderful name of Christ our Savior and all God's people said, amen. A woman called a hospital to get some information about a patient. This was long before the HIPAA laws were enacted when you could actually call a hospital and get some information about someone who was there. The reception said, well, what is the patient's name? Her name is Sarah Finkel and she's in room 302. The receptionist said, I'll connect you to the third floor. A nurse answered, 3A nursing station, can I help you? Yes, I'm uh, wanting some information about Sarah Finkel. She's in room 302. Is she doing well? Uh, Is she getting worse? Is she getting better? Tell me anything that you can. So the nurse said, well, just a minute. Let me look at her records. Yes, Mrs. Finkel is doing very well. All her blood tests came back negative. Uh, There's a very good chance she'll be taken off the heart monitor in a couple hours. And Dr. Cohen even hopes that she can be sent home Tuesday. The woman on the phone said, wonderful, fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. The nurse said, well, apparently by your enthusiastic response, you must be a close friend or family member. She said, oh, no, no. I'm Sarah Finkel in room 302. (laughs) Nobody tells me anything around here. (laughs) And I don't know if that's true or apocryphal, but I do know this. People are desperate to know the truth and to know the truth about themselves. And there's one way to know the truth about yourself, and that is to get acquainted with the truth. John chapter 17, verse 17 simply says this, sanctify them make them godlike through your truth your word is true and i could multiply by many times over other verses that say the same thing like in psalm 19 the word of the lord is true it's accurate it's reliable it's perfect it's pure and on and on the scriptures go thy word is truth and we're going to talk about the true word of god today in our study of spiritual warfare. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been looking at the armor of God, and there are six pieces to that armor, and we've actually come to the last one. In verse 17, it talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's a belt called truth that goes around your waist, a breastplate called righteousness that protects the vital organs, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace or founded on the peace that the gospel gives to you, and then you have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And we're talking about the sword of the spirit today, the sword of the spirit which is both offensive and defensive. It's a very interesting piece uh, that the soldier would use in spiritual warfare. I want to remind you though that this is God's armor and he gives it, but it's our responsibility to put it on. In the whole realm of sanctification, that is growing Christ-like, God must do it 
In fact, in Philippians, it says he gives us the will both to desire and to do. The power to desire, the ability to accomplish. And yet we must work out our own salvation in that same context. So this is God's armor, but you've got to put it on. You can't fight in your own strength, but God's not going to dress you either. It's our responsibility to take it up. All the armor is actually attached to the body except for the sword. It's that one piece, although in its sheath, would be taken out to do battle. And the Bible tells us that this is a sword. Let's look at a couple pictures here of our Roman soldier. And this is a really, uh, I think, a wonderful depiction. And you see the sword very prominent. One thing you don't notice, if you look in the back, uh, the next slide shows us, a circle shows us what I thought were a bunch of rowboats turned over. And the more I looked, I found out these were the shields that they put together in the tortoise formation. Remember we talked about that, the shield of faith, when they would huddle together, the swords then would cover them perfectly. And in this depiction uh, of a Roman battle, you have that tortoise formation in the background. And then, of course, the sword uh, that the soldier is using, uh, it would be, uh, the, the scripture has a very interesting description of this particular sword. Some of the swords were longer. By the way, we're not talking about every piece that the Roman soldier might have. Some of them would carry javelins too and had a few other pieces that often would go onto their armor. But Paul is not trying to, to give you a description and picture of what a Roman soldier looked like. He's using something common to give us better understanding of what a spiritual soldier needs to look like. But here's another picture of a Roman soldier when we're talking about a sword. And this is, a, I think, a very accurate description. But notice on the back of the one who is not facing us, this next slide, shows us a little dagger-like sword strapped to his back. So it's very possible that they had a longer sword that they would use, but then in battling uh, person to person, they would often use this machaira sword. And machaira is the Greek word that you find in Ephesians 6 to describe the sword. So it's not the longest of the swords that the Roman soldier would use, but the shortest that is best in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And from verse 10, we're talking about wrestling with the evil one. Again, the idea is that you're close to your enemy. It's not a great distance and you're fighting in the midst of a rather intimate situation. Now, I have no spiritual application for a short sword as opposed to a long sword. I'm just simply telling you that's the word that is used, and it might be this piece in his armor. But what we do see is that this sword is both offensive and defensive. That's how the sword of the Spirit is to be used. It is indeed the sword of the Spirit, right? The Excalibur was used in mythical legend about King Arthur and his mighty sword that made him king. But this is the sword of the Holy Spirit. And because it is the whole sword of the Holy Spirit, it means that it belongs to him. He's the one that inspired it. Verses like 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breed. The word for breath and spirit in the New Testament often are interchangeable. So the word of God comes from the spirit, like a breath coming out of the mouth of God, coming down to humanity. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who inspired men to write the book. And he's the one who interprets the book. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The words are spiritual words. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They're spiritually oriented, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. You need the Spirit to interpret the Word of God. Occasionally, I'll pick up a, a book, a Bible, that is written in a different language. I love it when you're on the mission field and you have the opportunity to hold the Bible newly translated into a language. And I look at it and I can't make heads nor tails of it because I don't know the language. But if an interpreter will tell me what it says, then I'll know. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is. He is the author of the book. He is also the interpreter of the book. He tells you what it says. And thirdly, it's the Holy Spirit who makes the sword powerful. He inspires, he interprets, and he empowers the book. It's possible for you and I to use the word of God to little or no benefit when the Holy Spirit does not engage it with power. It's worse yet to know a lot about the Bible and never rely upon the Holy Spirit to teach us or apply it to our lives. That's the other thing the Spirit does very well. He takes his book and he tells you what it means and he applies it to your soul so you can grow and change. So it is God's sword. It is the sword of the Holy Spirit. And then the scripture tells us it's called the word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is, indeed is the Word of God. Oliver Cromwell, when he was the Protectorate of England, had his soldiers, called the Ironsides, have a sword in one hand and a literal Bible in the other. I love the imagery, but that's a really stupid thing to do when you go out to battle. Simply because the Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you can actually try to kill people with it or cut them with it. That's not going to work. But it is a spiritual sword. As we look at the physical sword of the Roman soldier and no notice its importance and see that it's offensive and defensive and see that it cuts, so the Word of God does the same. It is a defensive weapon. Let's look at that first. How is the word of God a defensive weapon? Well, if you're in battle, it is the sword that sometimes you hold up to block the advance of your enemy, right? You can't use your own arm, but you can use the blade of the sword. And of course, in fencing, so much of the skill of fencing is to block your opponent's thrust. And the sword becomes defensive. But maybe the best way to picture the defensive aspect of the word of God is to remember what Jesus did when he was tempted. He was in the Judean wilderness and the devil came to him and tempted him. Remember the story? Matthew chapter 4 tells us the story. And the devil came to him and said, make stones into bread. Bow before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. He had three temptations. And to every temptation, what did Jesus say? It is written. 
Yes, it is written. In fact, he drew exclusively from one book of the Old Testament called Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall have no other gods before me. It is written, it is written, it is written. He answered with the word of God. Now think of this. If the divine warrior, the Messiah Jesus, has to use the sword of the spirit to fend off and repel the attacks of Satan, how much more do we, right? And by the way, he had to know it to use it. You don't see Jesus saying, good point, Satan, excuse me. Let me try to find that. Oh, where is that? I wish I had my concordance. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't respond. No, he knew what to say because the word was in his heart. So you and I need to use the word of God as a defensive weapon. The Bible scholar William Hendrickson said, it is the sword of the spirit which is the spoken word of God. In other words, he is saying there's an aspect to this where it's, it's not just the Bible, but it's the Bible being spoken. He says, in other words, what is in view in this special situation is a unique utterance of God's word that fits exactly the tempter's attack. So it's the right word for the right situation. In other words, it would be helpful for you and me to memorize several verses of Scripture over a, a, an area of temptations, especially those that come to us often, and memorize verses that we can use specifically when we are attacked with selfishness, lust, lying, anger, thievery, whatever it might be, and be, to be able to say, no, devil, it is written, and quote the word of God back to the devil I hope you notice in this whole thing called spiritual warfare that sometimes you talk to the devil I don't mean in a seance type of situation I don't mean that specifically you're trying to communicate with him I just simply mean you realize the temptations coming from the evil one and you can say I'm relying on the word of God and you make sure that you know the specific text to deal with the specific situation. How can a young man keep his way pure, the psalmist says in Psalm 119? By taking heed, by living according to God's word. That's defensive. You're preparing for a battle that has not yet taken place and you're storing your heart with the truth of scripture so that when the battle does come, you are ready. Hey, how sharp is your sword? Have you cleaned off the spots? Is it with you in its sheath, its scabbard? Can you get it quickly when the battle comes? Because the battle will come in a moment when you're not prepared. Have you been learning the word of God so you're prepared when the time comes? It's a defensive weapon and we need to make sure that we can use it. But it is also an offensive weapon, which means sometimes we take the battle to the enemy. Most of the context of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 is the idea of standing and holding your ground. So it's more defensive. But now there is an aspect of offense to it, and that's where we take the word of God and go on the charge. Let me submit to you 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. 
John says, I write to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. Why are they strong? Word of God lives in them. That's exactly what we're getting in Ephesians 6. Stand strong in the might of the Lord. How do you stand strong? With the word of God. So he says, you are strong, the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. How do you overcome the evil one? Dressed in all the protective armor of God and using that offensive armor so that you can defeat the devil and he will flee from you. One of my favorite verses about the Bible is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is alive and active. The word of God is quick and powerful, says the old King James translation. And it is sharper than any double-edged sword. By the way, this machaira that is being spoken of that the Roman soldier would use was a double-edged sword, both the long one and the shorter one. So the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates to the dividing of the soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Take that verse apart and it tells us that the Bible has power. It's alive. It's a living book. When the Spirit takes up the sword, it is powerful. When the Spirit uses the Word of God in your life, it can cut to the quick. It penetrates like a sword to the deepest part of your being. That is the division of soul and spirit. And there's no way to divide soul and spirit. Actually, in the Scripture, often they're used as synonymous. But sometimes we talk about the spirit being slightly different from the soul. If anything can find the division between the two, it's the word of God. Or how about joints and marrow? So the joints of the bone and the marrow within. I mean, that, that's tight. That's uh, an integral part of the body that must be linked together tightly to work. In other words, poetically speaking, the Bible can get to the deepest part of you when no one else can. I find it amazing when some of you will come up to me sometimes after church and you'll say, Pastor, boy, that really spoke to me. I said, what part spoke to you? And they'll say something I don't remember ever saying. I think maybe they're in a different service. But you know what? God takes the word and penetrates deep into your soul and the word hits your need like no one intended except the spirit. That's the great thing about the word of God. Just let it go. Let it go. And it does its work. The word slices a heart like a hot knife through soft butter, said one theologian. It cuts, it wounds terribly. It's all knife. And it can go deep. But sometimes the surgeon has to cut before you can heal. So all the cutting of the Bible is not intended to wound or not intended to be fatal. In fact, God's word is like a laser beam that cuts with the purpose of healing, of killing with the purpose of creating life. Let the Bible do its work. It's a powerful, powerful book. 
You know, our culture believes that this book is out of date. It's archaic. It's filled with errors. And you know what they say? Don't use it. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they say that because if you take it out of its sheath and start using it, they'll know that it cuts. If I leave it in the sheath, it's harmless. But if I take it out and start using it, I don't have to defend it. What Roman soldier goes into a battle saying, this is the best of steel. It's sharpened on both sides. Take a look at it. Examine it. No, he just says, boom. In fact, he doesn't talk. Just boom, boom, little gory. But this is an R-rated sermon. He just starts going through and cutting. You don't have to defend a sword. You use it. And we're in a culture where we're intimidated by people who are saying this book doesn't work. Okay, let me try it on you. Let's see how it works. And quickly they'll say, oh, no, no, I don't want to hear it. Why? It's making me uncomfortable. It's getting too deep. And so the Bible tells us it is an offensive weapon with amazing power because it is the word of Almighty God by His Spirit. Now, what about the benefits of the Word of God? And I'm just going to go over some of these quickly. I hope you jot down these ideas and look them up later. We've already been discussing one. One of the benefits of the Word of God is that it has the power to prick our conscience or to bring conviction to the soul. That's the passage of Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. But how about this? The Bible has the power to produce life. James chapter 1, verse 18, you're born again by the word of God. James tells us that the word of God brings forth new life. And 1 Peter says we're born again by the seed that is incorruptible by the word of God. Grass withers, flower fades, word of God always true, always powerful. We already mentioned the idea that it prevents sin. That's the defensive posture. Psalm 119 and 9 through 11 uh, tells us that. It, if you store your heart with the word and use it and seek to live in it, sin will not be able to dominate you. That's how powerful the word of God is. It's when we put down our sword that sin gets in. It protects us from error. Psalm 37 Verse 31, when you know the truth, you'll be able to smell the lie. You don't have to know every lie that exists in the world. Just be very conversant with the truth. Know it inside and out, forward and backward. Let it be the backbone of your heart and your soul, and you will be able to tell. Any mind trained in truth will be able to see what is the opposite of truth. When you do sin, the word of God purges you. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 5. We're washed by the washing of the water of the word. Just read the word and it has the ability to start cleansing you. I'm sure I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. It's that wonderful story of the man who was picking apples for uh, the owner of, uh, of an orchard, I guess it was. And uh, they were putting bass apples in a wick, wicker basket and the owner said I want you to go down to the river and I want you to get some water in that basket and then bring it to me so he went down to the first of all I said that's a stupid thing to do he said no go do it so he went down and he picked up the basket uh, put it in the water 
filled with water. By the time he got back to the owner, it was empty. The water leaked out of the wicker basket. And the guy said, look, I don't have any water. He says, go do it again. Go do it. He did it several times. And he finally came back and said, this is ridiculous. Nothing is happening. And the man said, look at the basket. It's far cleaner now than it was before. And although you and I do not retain everything we read, every time you read the word of God with a desire to know it, with a desire to learn it, with a desire to apply it to your soul, it washes you and you may forget tomorrow what you read yesterday, but it was still beneficial because it cleanses the soul. It provides direction. Many verses could tell us this, this, but Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp, unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Two phrases mean exactly the same thing. The Bible illuminates the way that we should go. It promotes growth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, we are to desire the pure milk of the word so that by it we might grow in respect to our salvation. And it prevails over our enemies, as we read in Matthew chapter 4 or in 1 John chapter 2. It's the word of God that can repel our foes and defeat them. It's simply the power of the word of God. So how do I use it? Well, get a grip on the word. Have you ever had anyone tell you that, you know, you're, you're a bit emotional and a bit out of place and someone says, get a grip on yourself, which means, you know, don't be led away by frivolous emotion or fear, whatever it might be, get control, get a grip. Well, that's what you need to do with the Bible, get a grip. And I love the wonderful illustration that the Navigators, which came through Dawson Trotman years ago, the founder of the Navigators, he has a simple hand illustration. And in that hand illustration, he's got a hand holding a Bible. And each one of the four fingers talks about a way to get the Bible into you. And then the thumb connects with each one of the four fingers. So I'm using that same illustration in this next picture of get a grip on the sword. Now the little finger, let's let that represent the way that we get the Bible into us called hearing. By the way, hearing is the least effective because we quickly forget what we have heard. But Romans 10 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing means hearing the word of God. So that's the first thing you do, and you're here, so kudos to you. How often do you hear the word of God? I hope it's every week, but I hope it's more than that. I hope you listen to podcasts or uh, pick up CDs of people preaching and, and uh, hear the word of God on a regular basis. Hear it read. You can go to websites now, gateway.com, uh, biblegateway.com, and you can hear the Bible read in different translations. Fantastic. Different languages. The, the next finger, we might call the ring finger, is reading. Revelation 1.3 says, blessed is the person who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the person who takes it to heart. And so reading has a great blessing to it. That's another way to get the word of God in. And I hope you're reading the Bible. It's more effective than just hearing. But add to your hearing reading. And it brings its own special blessing. 
And you may forget tomorrow what you read today, but read it. Did you know that there are some Christians who have never read through the Bible? In fact, the majority of Christians have never read through the entire Bible. Did you know that the majority of Christians have never read through the New Testament? Do you know that most people who call themselves Christians don't read their Bible on a regular basis? How do we expect to battle if we don't read the book? This is how you get a grip on the sword. Read it. Then the next finger, the long finger, would be study. So Acts 17 says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessaloniki because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. Do you ever go home and say, boy, I'm not sure Pastor Don was right today. Let's check it out. You know, he, one of the ways that uh, those who mistreat the Bible is to so, throw so many verses at you that you don't look them up and you just take for granted what they're saying. Now, that's probably a horrible thing to say on the day that I'm throwing a ton of verses at you. But what I hope you do is take them down and study them for yourself and let me know if I'm wrong. Study the scripture. And then the last finger is memorize. You say, boy, I can't do that anymore. I hardly know my name. Well, I know it's tough. But by the way, one of the ways to train the mind, to exercise the mind, is to discipline the mind by memorization. Why not try to memorize one verse a week? Do you think you can do that? One verse a week. So where do I get that one verse? How about from your study or your Bible reading? And just memorize it. One verse a week. And then the next week, add another one. But don't forget the one you've already learned. And if you did that, at the end of the years, you'd have 50 verses and you'd be way far beyond most Christians. You say, well, what am I going to do with all of this? I'm not going to win any Awana award by memorizing scripture. No, you're going to do battle with the devil. So I'd say that's a good thing to do. Now, what about the thumb? What's the thumb? The thumb is meditation. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, sit in the scorner's seat stand in the way of infidels but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in God's law he meditates what is it all the time all the time meditation by the way is the thumb that goes with each one of the fingers you use it when you hear you use it when you read you use it when you study you use it when you memorize you're always meditating and the thumb helps give you the grip and that's how you get your grip on the sword and then begin to use it. One of my favorite stories of the power of the word of God comes from England, 1857. There was an Indian mutiny in the country of India. Many English people were slaughtered. And back home in England, being a Christian nation, they called for a national fast. The fast day was October 7, 1857. And they decided on the fast day, all of England fasting, they decided to have in London a great gathering of people in the Crystal Palace. Now this was an amazing amusement entertainment center. Think Lansing Center times about, I don't know, 50. <laughs> It was all glass. It was a marvel of the age, filled with gorgeous gardens and wonderful displays. They said they're going to have a service there. 23,600 people showed up. 
And they asked one of the most famous preachers of the day, a young boy, 23 years old, who is as famous as the Crystal Palace. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon, two days before the service, actually went into the Crystal Palace to test the acoustics. No microphones, right? And so he goes into this building that probably had horrible acoustics, and he wants to test them. He's got this booming voice, and he walks onto the stage, and to test the acoustics, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And his voice is echoing through. Unbeknownst to Spurgeon, there is a workman up in the top of the Crystal Palace with his tools getting things ready for the day. It's been a quiet day until suddenly a voice from God comes out of nowhere. Behold the Lamb of God. That's, by the way, John chapter 1 that Spurgeon was quoting. The man was so taken aback and so convicted, he left his tools, he walked his way home, and for several days was in spiritual struggle until he gave his life to Christ by hearing one verse. And Spurgeon didn't find out about it until this man was on his deathbed and he told his conversion story to a friend who relayed it to the great preacher that one verse brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. That is the power of the word of God. Take up your sword. Another story comes from a young man who was living in California. He was born in a home that wasn't Christian. He loved his family. His mom occasionally read the Bible, but they didn't go to church. And he ended up giving his life to crime. At a young age, he became part of a gang in L.A. involved with organized crime, a thief, many other things that he had done. One night after winning a lot of money in a card game, he came to his sister's house. He didn't want to watch TV, but he decided maybe he would read a book. He said his sister was an old-fashioned Italian, and every book she had, she had covered with grocery paper, so you couldn't tell what the book was. He reached into the library to get a book. He said he was hoping to find a Playboy, and he pulled out his first book and opened it up, and it was a Bible, and he dropped it like a hot potato. He went for another book, couldn't tell what it was, pulled it out, opened it up, and it was a Bible. <laughs> he got through that one on the floor, too. He said, my sister's gone nuts. So he tried one more time and pulled it out, and it was a Bible. But he noticed it was his mother's Bible, and he began to shake. And wherever he opened up, he started reading, and his soul came under conviction. And the more he read, the more he saw the life of Jesus Christ. He said, this person is awesome. And this was his thinking. In my neighborhood, if someone took a beating for you, he was a friend for life. Jesus not only took a beating for me, he died for me, and I realized that I should praise him and serve him. That night he opened my heart, simply reading the truth of the Bible, and I gave my soul to Jesus Christ. And on the night he was baptized, he said, there is one verse that I hold dear. The Bible says in John chapter 10, that if I'm in the hand of God, no one can take me from his hand. And I am forever secure. And then he went into the waters of baptism. It was the power of the Bible. 
We've heard this so often. We're dull of hearing. It's time for us to take up the book and read. In one of my Bible reading plans, I think I got from Moody Bible Institute, it had this simple recommendation at the end of it. It said we should read the Bible through, pray it in, write it down, work it out, and pass it on. Let me say that again. We should read it through, pray it in, write it down, work it out, and pass it on. That's a great way to get a grip on the Word of God. Just before he died, Sir Walter Scott wrote this poem. Within, speaking of the Bible, within this wondrous volume lies the mystery of all mysteries. Happy as they of the human race to whom their God has given grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch, to find the way, and better they had ne'er been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us see once again the power of your great word, not just to defend ourselves, but to grow us, to convict us, to wash us, to give us all your promises, to fill our minds with truth about you so that we're not led into error. And then, Lord, as a weapon to use to fight the enemy, and as a wonderful weapon to use to share the good news of Christ with others. I pray that every day we would not be ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel revealed in the word of God is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, let's turn in your hymnal.